Hey, I'm Joy, and welcome to my podcast, Tell Me More. Hey, welcome back to my show, Tell Me More, a place where I interview leading business and tech entrepreneurs. This week, we're speaking with Janet Bannister, past director at eBay, founder of Kijiji, and general partner at the VC firm Real Ventures. At eBay, Janet was the director of category development, where she grew eBay into a multi-million dollar marketplace for a mainstream audience. Then, writing off the success of eBay, Janet founded Kijiji in 2005, which is now one of Canada's most successful brands and has 11 million monthly users. In today's episode, Janet talks about her experience working in venture capital, what it's really like to oversee 14 different startups, and why she left Silicon Valley to work in Toronto. My name is Janet Bannister, and I am a partner with Wheel Ventures. And Wheel Ventures is an early-stage venture capital firm. So we primarily invest in Canadian-based early-stage technology companies. How did you get involved with Real Ventures? Why did you choose to go into early-stage startups in particular? Yeah, so I got involved they actually, in uh, Real Ventures. They actually found me when they were looking for a partner for the Toronto-Waterloo area. And um, it was not, venture capital was not something that I ever considered going into or that I actively pursued. It um it just sort of, you know, they were looking for a partner and uh, they were looking for somebody who had operating and entrepreneurial experience. And ideally, they wanted somebody who had spent some time in Silicon Valley as well and so sort of understood that ecosystem there and so and sort of had similar values and similar um sort of ways of thinking about things as they did. And so that's how that's how it ended up. It's, I just frankly got a cold call from one of the founding partners of Wheel Ventures. Um, but I think, as I said, I think the key that helped me uh, transition into Wheel Ventures was my, op- or sorry, and, and into venture capital as a whole was my experience uh, operating businesses and being an entrepreneur. And I talked to a lot of young uh, people who are eager to get into venture capital. And one of the things that I say is the best ex- background to get into venture capital is definitely having an entrepreneurial and, uh, and operating experience so that you can relate to the entrepreneurs and add um, you know, relevant feedback and have empathy and understanding for what they're going through and some of the challenges that they face and be able to add value and give good perspective. Um, I think the other thing is the other part of the question in terms of why did I decide to go into it? I, and I think that the, I mean, the key role in working with and working at a venture capital firm is, I mean, there's two main buckets that account for the majority of the time. One is working with portfolio companies and the other is meeting potential investments and understanding them and understanding their business and deciding whether or not you should make an investment in that company. And so I think, frankly, the overriding thing that is most important that you need to be successful in both buckets is an ability to relate to people, to understand people, uh, to communicate well, and to have empathy and understanding of them. And so that's one sort of one bucket. And then the other is just good strategic thinking skills, 
um, as I said, having an operating background so that you can relate to what they're going through and understand potential pitfalls that they might encounter. Yeah, so if you weren't interested in VC before this, how did Real Ventures, you know, call you and pitch this idea to you? Um, you know, they just told me a little bit about the role and I think about what venture capital was all about. And I think that the thing that interested me is that at that stage in my life, which was about three and a half years ago, which is different than it is now, but um, I was most interested in working in an advisory or consulting type of role rather than an operating role. So while I had done operating roles, I had success in those roles, and I loved them while I was in them, and that experience is absolutely key. In my own mind, very successful. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, in my own mind, I was like, you know what? What gives me satisfaction now, having had a little bit of success and learned something, is actually I get far more excited about helping other people be successful. And I find that the, you know, to the extent that I can meet with somebody and provide them with feedback or advice or guidance or contact that helps them be successful that is the greatest reward for me. So that was one part of it. And then the other part was working with entrepreneurs. And so I have done consulting both with McKinsey as well as with my own uh, consulting business. And most of that consulting was with larger companies. And I realized that where I get, where I particularly enjoy working with other people and providing that guidance is with entrepreneurs who are, nimble, fast moving, who are, you know, pursuing their dreams and putting it all on the line. And so when I realized that venture capital enabled me to combine both that mentoring, advising, consulting type of work, along with working every day with entrepreneurs, I thought, oh, this is going to be fantastic. I would love to do this. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that where you were two years ago is very different from where you are today. How do you think you've grown since joining Real Ventures? So, I mean, I really love, uh, I really love my work. I've never been happier in my career. I just, I feel that I'm so lucky to get to do the work that I do. Um, I've definitely learned a lot in the past three and a half years of being a VC, I think. And I guess maybe I would put it into two buckets. One is just sort of the operational part of being in venture, you know, things like, okay, what's a, like, what's a term sheet, the legal documents, you know, the pros and cons of doing an equity round versus a convertible, even what a convertible is and what a safe is and what all the different terms are and like, like how it all works and the landscape, but what's a seed and what's a series A and what's a, like, so there's that sort of technical stuff, which I've learned. Um, but I think the bigger thing is you learn so much because you know, as you say, well, right now, I think I'm overseeing, I guess, up to 14 different um, companies. That oh, it's 14 now. Yeah, okay, I'm yeah. not on the board of all those. I actually have eight sort of formal board board manager, like where I'm a board member, I should say. Eight companies where I'm a board member, a few more where I'm a board, board observer, and then others where we don't have a board seat, but I'm the real venture point person. So in total, that's 14. And then in addition to that, like, so in, so that's 14 that I'm overseeing. And then real ventures as a whole, we have 65 active portfolio companies. So you really learn from all of those portfolio companies. And so you get to see, okay, what are the different obstacles? What are the common challenges uh, that different companies go through? And so as a result, I mean, as I say, you learn 
it's a different type of learning. When you're in an operating role working in one company, you learn a ton about how do you get things done. Um, you're in depth. You're 100% focused on that company, and it's a great learning experience. But then when you work in venture capital or like private equity or something like that, when you have a purview over dozens of companies, you can learn about dozens of – it's at a higher level, but it's more – broader, right? And so you learn a lot of, but you get to do that pattern recognition. And I think one of the things that is certainly loud and clear that you might not, that people might not recognize if they're just in one company is that every single company, it, it's a, it's, it's always a tough road, right? And I often say there's no straight line to success. Like it's always challenging. Every company is, you know, goes through challenges. Every CEO has self-doubts at one point, and I think that a lot of people see successful startup companies from the outside and they think, oh, it was, you know, just a straight line. They just did it and they were successful. And then they go into their own businesses and they're struggling and things aren't working very well and their customers aren't fine and this, and then they get frustrated. But, you know, it's actually everybody struggles. Everybody faces challenges in starting and running and scaling a business. And so it's just a matter of understanding and working with our CEOs to understand, hey, you know what, it's okay, you're going to get through this. And here are some strategies or tactics or ideas that have been helpful for founders in the past. Well, I know every day is probably very, very different, but could you give a quick example of what a typical day might look like? Yeah, sure. So, I, well, I would say I won't use Monday because Monday actually, so Monday is our partner meeting. So we spend about half our day as a partnership group, like an investment meeting, reviewing potential new investments, reviewing existing companies, things like that. But I would say on a typical week, about half my time is spent with um, our existing portfolio companies and um yeah, so I actually, I probably, no, I'll say that. See, maybe a third of my time is spent with our existing portfolio companies. Probably a third of my time is spent looking at potential investments as well as be, just spending time out meeting people, being involved in the community, speaking, um, going to accelerators such as DMZ or Creative Destruction Lab, and um, talking or, as I said, just meeting people in the community. And then another maybe third of the time is spent sort of working on like Real Ventures. Real Ventures is a firm, um, working with my other partners and other people at the firm to and thinking about, okay, how are we going to build Real Ventures? Because we're also building Real Ventures, which is like, it's like a, we call it a firm rather than a company, but it's the same idea, you know, thinking about, hey, what's our strategy going forward, Um, where do we want to focus our investing time, how can I help other people in the firm with what they're doing, etc. So when you're deciding what companies to invest in, what do you look for? Is it a strong founder duo, you know, a good story, good financials, like is it that type of thing? Or is there a certain X factor that you feel like you can detect in uh, companies coming forward? Um, I think that I don't know if it's like an X factor. I guess I would say it's, um, you know, at a high level, it's two things we look at. One is, hey, what's the vision or the strategy, right? So what is this business doing? What's the vision of the founder? Um, how, and then under there, there's a whole bunch of factors like, okay, 
do we be, and but fundamentally answering the question do we think this can be a huge successful business so looking at you know the competitive dynamics um the go to market plan the you know all, all those sort of elements that you can imagine would go under that and then the second question is is this the team that we believe can execute and so that involves looking at the team and also understanding with early stage investors, they're going to be able to hire, they're going to have to hire more people around it, but understanding, hey, is this fundamentally the right team? Is this person as a CEO, the person that we think can lead the company to success, recognizing, as I said, that they will, that person will probably need to learn and grow. And if it's a, a first time, you know, early founder, then, you know, they may have to, you know, surround themselves with perhaps more experienced people, but fundamentally, do they have the uh, the drive, the hustle to really take this business to build it to uh, to be very successful? Mm-hmm. And I know there's a bit of a stereotype that you know venture capitalists are cutthroat or mean or ruthless. Do you think that's true in your own experiences? Um. No, I think um, you know. I sort of thought that that was that was sort of my hesitation to get into the industry, to get into venture capital. That I thought it was like that, and I find it's it's the opposite. And um, I mean, occasionally they can be that, but I think that in the end, like the best companies are competitive in terms of a, a lot of venture capitalists want to get in there. So. You know, in order to be successful as a venture capitalist, you need to be somebody who entrepreneurs want to work with. And entrepreneurs talk to each other and everybody has a reputation. And so if you're a venture capitalist and you treat entrepreneurs badly, well, you're quickly going to be in a position where entrepreneurs don't want to work with you and you're not going to be successful. So I think people recognize that they need to treat their entrepreneurs well. Mm-hmm. What do you think your reputation is, if you could give a guess? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, I think that, I mean, I think I have a good reputation. Maybe I should let Stephanie um, answer that, this one. But um, no, I think I have a good reputation. I think I have a reputation as being um, approachable and wanting to look and looking out for the best interests of the entrepreneurs and um, wanting to add value and help my portfolio companies. Mm-hmm. So I've heard you say before that Toronto isn't the next Silicon Valley of Canada. You actually think Toronto is its own entity. Can you speak more about that and what you think the differences are between the Toronto tech community and the San Francisco tech community? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that um, in terms of, I think it, it is its own community. In terms of differences, I think that one of so one of the interesting things is in the valley. So I guess there's a couple different. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different aspects. But one thing is that you know in the valley there's a whole culture of entrepreneurialism, and I think that that's definitely changing in Canada. I remember one of the things that struck me when I first moved to the valley is that you know if anybody was like leaving their job or you know getting back into the workforce or whatever you know the first question would be oh are you starting your own thing or are you going to join a startup and i just thought this was so odd because i like i came from toronto and like nobody ever would ask somebody oh are you going to start your own business it was like well i mean 
are you going to go into marketing or finance or strategy? But anyway, so there's a whole, and so I think that that, um, there has been a cultural shift in Canada as a whole to have starting a business or joining a young company, a sort of, quote, acceptable uh, career path for people. So I think that that's good. But I think still in the Valley, there's a lot more people that are doing that, that have gone down that path. And so therefore, there's an opportunity to learn from other people and to access talent. But again, that is changing in Canada. And I think one great thing about Canada, and whether it's Montreal or Toronto or Vancouver, is that the ecosystem, like all the entrepreneurs, all the startups, all the venture capitalists are really working hard. And it's almost like, hey, we're, we know that we're a bit of the underdog, and so we need to work together. We need to um, work as a group and make Canada whole. So it's like, it feels like, hey, we're on Team Canada in a lot of ways, and we want to help each other be successful. And there's also I think, more of a feeling in the Valley, it's like, hey, everybody's a bit more out for themselves versus in here, it's a bit more, um, hey, we want to work together and make Canada a great place uh, to, to build a business. I have read in blogs, though, about people saying one of the biggest benefits of the Valley is their networks effect. Do you think Canada is starting to have our own networks effect or do we already have it? I think, like, if you look at the data, there's absolutely a cyclical, a positive cyclical effect that helps in terms of building ecosystems, and the strong tech, tech ecosystems get stronger. Um, and I think that Canada, again, if you look on a worldwide basis, so Toronto Waterloo is the biggest ecosystem within Canada, and Toronto Waterloo is, I mean, it's not, it's not as big as sort of systems such as. Silicon Valley or London, London, England, but uh, it's it's growing quickly and there's a lot of great momentum here. If we rewind to the beginning of your story, you know, before McKinsey or eBay or working at P&G, you actually completed the honors business degree program at Ivy. What was that experience like for you and what skills did you learn in Ivy? I think it was mostly like the friends that I made. I loved going to Ivy. I think sometimes in life it's hard to say, oh, what did I learn from each experience, you know, and what, um, but I, I made great friends there that have remained great friends. And so that I think was, was, was a huge thing. And, um, you know, I think that, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I learned a lot but I always think it's like, I guess in life and my philosophy is say it's more the soft skills that are more important than the hard skills. And so I think that when I think about what I got to advise you, I would say, yeah, you know, I learned a lot about accounting and management 101 and all that good stuff. But I think it's more the soft things. Like I remember a 48-hour report, working as a team and making great friends who are still friends today. And I was down for a reunion um, in the fall. And that was just so great to see everybody. And like, as I said, we still keep in touch and we're still great friends and support one another and help one another in any way that we can. I know the last time that you were at Ivy, you were actually speaking at our leadership forum. So I wanted to ask and to continue the conversation from the forum, what does leadership mean to you? And how can you discern if someone is a leader? How can you discern if somebody is a leader? Um, well, I think that ultimately it's um, 
I don't know if you can. Like leadership, well, first of all, I think leadership is a learned trait. I don't think it's not something that you're born with. And so, and there's all sorts of different types of leaders, right? Some leaders are quiet and introverted and lead that way, and other leaders are louder and gregarious, and some leaders are more, um, you know, big picture, and other people are more detailed and focus on the execution. I think the key thing for leaders is to understand, to really understand themselves and self-reflect and say, okay, here are the areas where I know I'm good at, and here are the areas where I'm not so good at, and then find people to surround, and then surround themselves with people who complement their, complement them. And I also think that just in general, a big problem that some people make is that they say, oh, I'm strong here, I'm weak here, therefore I need to focus on my weaknesses. However, if you do that, then you'll just end up mediocre in everything, right? And so often it's a better strategy to say, hey, you know what, I'm strong in this area, I'm not so good in this other area. So, okay, I've got to make sure that that other area doesn't become a deficit and maybe I need to hire people around me or surround myself. Like, But I'm really going to focus on making this one area super good. Like it's, you know, I'm making the used to call it being spiky at, spiky at something, right? It's like, you know, it's like, hey, you got to be really good in something. And yes, you can't have a liability in the other area. But I think it's the idea is, hey, double down where you're strong and be known for that strength. And then make sure that the other areas, as I said, you compensate for that or it somehow. But don't just say, oh, I'm strong at that, therefore I'm not going to work on it and go and work on your weaknesses, right? It's like, hey, if you're, if you're a runner, if you're an, naturally an endurance runner, then great, go be an endurance runner. Don't try to work on your speed. And if you're naturally super fast, then that's great. Go and be a sprinter. Don't be an endurance runner, unless you're passionate about being the other thing. And that's the end of today's episode. Big thanks to you for tuning in and an even bigger thanks to Janet for joining the interview. You can check out Real Ventures at realventures.com and follow Janet on Twitter at J.E. Bannister. As always, today's episode is brought to you by me, Joy. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. Give a like on Facebook with the handle Tell Me More Podcast and catch along with more information at tellmemore.io. See ya next time.